this special Easter episode of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as ever by Graham Raddings. Now normally we look at games that were released for the Commodore 64, but in this episode we're doing something a little different. Today we are going to be looking at some games for the Commodore 16 and plus four. 16 games in fact, and we're releasing this on the 16th of April. So we have 16 for the 16 on the 16th of the fourth month. So much it's number, Nostra- <laughs> yeah, number alignment that Nostradamus would have been proud of. He would. So uh, there you go. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Yeah, so we're going to look at a load of C16 games um, on Plus 4, I guess. But uh, so, Graham, what the hell was the C16 and Plus 4? What was it? Well, the C16 Plus 4, technically the same thing. Same thing, just a like different variation in how they were presented. They were actually designed... Um, it's, a, it's kind of an odd tale with the C16, really, and the Plus 4. So... Basically, um, the Commodore 64 was doing very, very, very well. You're talking sort of a billion in hardware sales around 1983 to 85. Now, it a was, billion? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a billion dollars worth, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a billion units, no. Billion like, dollars. Wow. But this was obviously Jack Trammell's great ambition was to create. He was he was very much a computer should be for the masses and that they shouldn't be in the purview of you know rich people or people who can afford them. Contrary to what you might think when you saw the original pricing of the Amiga and the Commodore 64, but that's a different argument. Anyway, <laughs> so the Commodore 64, so we sort of have to look at the way Commodore was structured at this time a little bit. We're not going to go too far into that, but the main thing is um, that the Commodore 64 is doing extremely well, and Jack Trammell felt that there was a gap, and the gap was in low-cost computing. He saw the Sinclair Spectrum as a low-entry computer sort of for the masses, which is kind of what it was. And mm-hmm. he, saw that the, was. He, he saw that the Sinclair Spectrum was doing particularly well, not, not in the US, where it was kind of a bit of an unknown entity, I think, and in other areas, but in Europe, especially, and in Britain. Um, he saw that there was a, he was losing some market share. Now, Jack Trammell was all about sales, sales, sales. So marketing didn't really matter to him. He was about sales and unit sales. So if he saw that there was a computer doing marginally better or potentially better for sales in a market he wasn't getting the traction in, he was going to do something about that. And so he set about trying to create a competitor for the Spectrum and to try and ta- to create a computer that would essentially sit in a um, in a bubble of, of affordability. So it was meant to be a computer that people could afford to buy as an entry-level computer. And so he created, well, he and his team created the, the essentially a, really a follow-on from the VIC-20 which was the C16 plus four. So this was a designed to be created cheaper. So it took some of the things away that made the C64 really good. Yeah, So it didn't have any hardware sprites. And basically what they did is take the VIC chip and the and SID chip, and in order to cut down the cost to make this sort of entry level, remember that this the idea of this computer is that people could afford it. So I think it was meant to be sold for around the $100 mark in the US. So probably about the same in the UK, so about £100. And in order to make it that kind of affordable, affordability, bear in mind the Commodore 64 at this point was still in the 200 plus. So it's still quite expensive. Um, so um, they basically took all of those functions and put them onto one chip called the TED, which was the <laughs> text editing device, the TED chip. So this the TED chip. TED chip, yeah. Now the TED chip actually ran at 1.7 gigahertz. It's faster than the C64. Mm. And the machine was shipped with 16, um, I was going to say meg of RAM then, but 16K of RAM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was shipped with 16k there was actually a later version of it that came with um more more ram as well so you could get eventually there was actually a 64k version believe it not, of the plus four but yeah. we, we won't necessarily dive into all of that anyway so this machine came out now the plus four was deviated into the c16 because they wanted to sort of capture the um the plus four didn't really do very well and it's because it looked ugly it had a really weird keyboard it had a really weird naf sort of arrow based cursor key thing on the right and it just did, and it was actually sort of weirdly aimed at kind of a business market in an odd way or yeah. office and yeah. it had built-in office kind of tools so it had a built-in database built-in word processes they're not very good 
and it looked ugly. No one's going to want any, without getting major hand cramp, you're not going to be able to use that keyboard for very long because it, it was almost really built to, remember this was built to sort of compete with the Spectrum. Now, this is no disrespect to Spectrums, but the key, rubbery keyboard was never anyone's particular favourite. It's got a sort of, people have an affinity because it was kind of our British thing and it was, you know, it was Sinclair and all that. But to use on a long-term basis, you're going to get, you know, your hands and fingers end up in knots. So in order to sort of leap onto the popularity of the way the Commodore 64 looked, the C16 was born. C16 obviously was in the same sort of form factor as the Commodore 64. It was a slightly different shell case in colour, so it was darker. And it didn't come with as many component parts. I don't think you could plug some of the peripherals into it as well. And so it was very much very much a entry-level computer. It had a better version of BASIC than the Commodore 64. The Commodore 64 version of BASIC was terrible. The plus for C16 version of BASIC is actually a lot better. So you can actually mm-hmm. draw onto the screen, you can do graphics on the screen and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. You've got access got, to way more, way more memory as well, haven't you, on the plus four yeah. version? Yes, you do, because um, the VIC doesn't sort of take some of that away. Its architecture was a bit more, and if you think about it, it's a bit more like one of some of the PCs that you see now are just like one chip to rule them all. Um, so the C16 was quite ahead of its time in its architecture and the idea that you could just condense everything down to keep things cheap and just reduce the form factor. So put everything you can on one chip as opposed to put it having a separate graphic chip. So the reduction of all of those things left the C16 um, good, quite good at basic, reasonably fast. It was meant to be that kind of entry level and not really a games machine as such. But obviously, if you dress it in C64 clothes and you enter it into a market looking like C64, but at a budget price, the instant thought of people is going to be games. Because the C64 by this point was dominating the game space. In fact, if you went into shops, it was just all about C64 games. No one really thought about, oh, do you know what? I need a word processor. Let me go and get a code of 64. It just didn't happen. Yeah, the CBM title had long been lost, hadn't it? Absolutely. So then you ended up with this really weird problem because the C16 um, isn't compatible with the C64 in any way, shape or form. So there was no way that you were going to be able to produce, make backward compatible games for the C64 and the C16. Not going to happen. So you've got to create games from scratch and you've got to work in the parameters of what you've got. So you're programming a lot of things by hardware. It's got more colors than the C64. It's got 121 colors because it has a lot, much wider degree of luminance colors. So it's running slightly faster. You've got no hardware sprites. Um, you've got a lot of limitations in around. You can access a bit more of the memory in a certain way, but you've got really odd screen modes. It's a bit of an odd machine in all sorts of different ways. It's, never it, really, it, it, never really it knew where it was aiming. Like a, it felt to me more like a Spectrum. Yeah, well, and that's because it, it was aimed... Character-based graphics, color clash, you know, yeah. system on a chip. Well, it's, it's exactly... It was designed to compete with it. The irony yeah. of it all is that it was this. The, this was rushed together and put together as the plus four package for a big CES show. Two days after that show, Jack Tramiel left Commodore anyway. Went to went to Atari. Yeah, <laughs> and took most of the engineers with him. So they were just left with this device, and they didn't really know what to do with it. So they just put it out. It was I think it was in less than a year it was pulled off the shelves in the US. But for some reason in Europe, especially in some of the more um, challenging economies of Europe, it really sold well because it was. A cheap way of getting into computing and you could, there was a built-in monitor on it and everything it was big in mexico as well massive yeah. in mexico so so inevitably games and things started to pop out on it and it because it was a popular entry level computer you were going to get games on it now certain companies seem to push a lot of games out on it um so mastertronic did quite a lot gremlin graphics have done quite a lot so when you look through the catalog of games of which there are quite a few um, mm. there is a varied range of games sort of going between almost home hobbyists pushing stuff out towards the sort of more professional Mastertronic and, and Gremlin graphics end. But you've got this sort of, it sits in a really weird cusp, the C16. It's neither, it was never going to be a, a computer that was going to take off massively because if you were going to get a computer that you wanted to hack out and do stuff with, you'd probably get a Spectrum. That was never going to be the Commodore 64's fault. If you wanted off-the-shelf arcade-style gaming straight away. You sit with good sound. You see 64 was going to be there. And they brought this out at kind of a weird price. And so you're making people look at it on the shelf thinking, for do I want this thing with these kind of games? Or do, am I going to go for the C64 with all of its games, all of its hardware, all of its stuff? And I think it just, I think they killed, kind of, they kind of killed themselves with this because the C64 still had plenty of life left in it. And um, obviously after the C, um, after this one, I think it became the, after the plus four, they did the, C, the 64K version of this with weird built-in business applications that are never really going to work. <laughs> Nobody um, wanted them. Nobody. Weird, weird sort of, because um, you've got this weird device, because the, the back of the C16 is different to the C64, so you have to have a, an adapter so you could adapt the, the data set to work with other hardware. And it's just 
really weird compatibility things that you would never think of. Later, even some of the weirder versions of this machine had a built-in speech synthesizer, and you just you know I know the Amiga had a built-in speech synthesizer, which is often forgotten about, but it just it's just weird that this would have that. I mean, it's just like they just somebody somewhere sat in a meeting with all of the various people that put this together. Then a load of them left and went to Atari with Jack Trammell. So they were like, what do we do with this thing? <laughs> uh, I don't know. No one knew. And no one knew. And anyway, no. it it didn't die straight away. I think it just, because it, it got a little bit of a user base, stuff came out on it as these things do. And, you know, here we are looking at the C16. I never knew anyone that owned one my whole life, ever, ever. No, no. <laughs> so, I knew one person who had a VIC-20. Yes, That's before I had a Commodore, but... Uh, 60, that was before I had a C64, so it felt like the future when I had a ZX81. Um, but I never, I never saw a C16 out in the wild or a plus four. Yeah, and I think the Commodore way Commodore pitched the C16 was that it was a really good entry level. Le- they called it the learning machine, and they pitched oh. it as a good entry level <laughs> machine. If you like the VIC-20 and you want to get into sort of programming, well, this this C16 is a good step up because it's got a good basic and it's got all of this stuff. And you're like, mm, okay, okay. <laughs> mm, okay not so sure about that anyway um yeah. you still have two 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 uh joystick ports although they were different to the compatible different sort of ends to the <laughs> usual ones you'd get of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course um just just usual daft stuff that they would do in that way but it's one of those it's a footnote for commodore really but classic commodore because this is how they end up what they ended up doing releasing machine after machine after machine that was just stupid yeah, you know, when you've got the success of the Commodore sixty, no, well, the success of the Commodore sixty four and the Amiga, you'd think that there there would be a company that would be, you know, like IBM hanging around today. You'd think Commodore Commodore would be around, but just one CD, disaster just after say, another. Yeah, was it CD Amiga CD CD thirty two? Yeah, and then you know, mm, you if you, yeah. they created some of the great, greatest uh, home computing architectures of all time with the Amiga and the C sixty four just astonishes me that to this day that those even though those machines still exist obviously and people do all this stuff like retro obviously you know the whole retro stuff and everything that goes on but it staggers me that commodore as a company uh, were outlived by people like ibm really in some ways because they genuinely had a foothold in that market like no other company at one point crazy yeah. then you look at the c16 yeah. you go why did it go wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh that's why yeah anyway that's a very positive history you can yeah. Go and there's loads and loads of stuff written about the C16. There's tons of websites devoted to it. It's very, I think it's one of those machines that um, over time has gained a quite a, a little cult following in its own way. And I think because it's you know it's seen as the the little little brother of the C64. I think there's even demos and stuff out for it, which really push its even its capabilities. So you mm. know, as is always the way, people find a way of getting the most out of these machines. And and certainly some of these programmers for these games did. That's for sure. That's true. Um, and so, yeah, so there you go. That's it. that's why the C sixty. Why are we covering it? By the way, there was a section in this month's app. There's an eight eight there page is. section, and that led us. So there's an eight page section where they kind of looked at loads of games. So that's where we p- picked our sixteen from. So it's not an. This is not an exhaustive. Um, you know, look no, no. at all the best games. I, I I didn't even know what the good games. I've never played them, so who knows? I just picked sixteen at random. What I did was when I picked them, the, there were a number of ports. So there was things like Thrust and Zolix. So I avoided them. We may look at them at another point. But what I've done is I've tried to look at games that were original for the C sixteen plus four, and that's what we're looking at here. So when I say original, that we haven't played elsewhere. Not that all these games are original. I'll say that. So there you go. So that's that's the remit for this. So should we crack in? Should we get on to yeah, these games? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, and the first one. Okay. So our first one is uh, Ariga. Ariga. Um, Ariga. Ariga. So this is so loud. <laughs> it's, it's so a, it loud. Is loud. <laughs> like I had to turn my my speakers are like you know zero to them. Put as soon as you added added a little bit on the speakers, I, you know my partner downstairs was like. Shh, Turn it down. I can't. It's either off or on. It is. Um, And I meant to say, actually, this the C16 had a a two-channel sound, square wave only. So a bit like the Atari 2600. Yeah. So, yeah, two channels. But this is so loud. So this is a single-screen blaster. uh, Kind of, you know, the way that the the enemies come on is is reminiscent of Centipede, but when you kill them, they don't create, uh, you know, the plants and stuff. So the enemies scroll on in a pattern. You have to destroy them all without dying. Otherwise, you have to do it all again. You can move left and right. Your ship is pretty big. You can shoot. There's a little more to this other than working out when to shoot and learning the patterns. Uh, each level is a different shade. Um, so it really makes use of those 121 colors on the machine. <laughs> the in fact, we'll, we'll, see that a lot in, we'll see that a lot in these games. Yes. Um, it's simplistic and harsh, but it's playable. 
there's a lot moving on screen, especially considering there's no sprites or characters. Um, this was okay, if incredibly loud. Yes. <laughs> did you? Yeah, no, I agree. No, I, I completely. No, it's it was like exactly as you describe. The blurb for this, by the way, it says Earth requires highly skilled pilots to form its new space fighter squadron. To be selected to join the ranks of Starfleet, oh dear, you must complete <laughs> and pass the ultimate test. That your test mission requires you to travel to the. This is a test mission requires you to travel to the darkest depths of the universe, traveling through uncharted territories, battling with the innumerable hostile creatures found within, and still return home with your craft intact. That seems more like a. That's more of a test. That's more than a test, I think, really. I think that's that is more than a test, yeah. That's that's, that's not a test mission, would be just taking it out for a spin and coming back. Right? <laughs> yeah, Driving to the uncharted territories. Anyway, it was that's just a bit, lot. It, it, it sounded and played like an Atari twenty six hundred game, uh, which is yeah. probably pretty much probably what it was. Very bold, yeah. very big, very loud. But yeah. fun. I, I, it was fun. It was all right. It was two quid as well from players. Now we've seen some yeah. players. This is better than player stuff we've seen on the C sixty four. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. They seem to do a lot better on the C sixteen. Yeah. But C sixty four was crap. But this is all right. So yeah. It's a two quid. There you go. Origa. It's all right. If you just want a simple blasters on. Let's move yeah. on. These are going to be good. quick. It's like it's like speed dating this. It is uh, speed reviewing. So you know that's what that's what we're going for here. So Graham, let's move into our next one, uh, and uh, that is Dork Dilemma. Dilemma. Uh, yeah. Did you like Dork's Dilemma? This is a full price from Gremlin Graphics. Full price, Gremlin Graphics. When they say we say full price, by the way, are these nine nine? Are these nine ninety nine, or are they slightly uh, cheaper? I don't know. Six ninety five. This was. So, okay, so well, Dork's Dilemma: a space saturating colonization with a planetoid form not known to any civilized solar system, and dazed and confused Dork awakens to find his disabled spaceship stripped and hidden throughout the underworld kingdom of the evil little Zobwats. I did Zobwats, not get that from Zobwats. this game. Dark little creatures living in underground maze, and they told Dork space travel viruses supposed to, was supposed to be fun. Well, space travel was it's hard to read. They blurbed on these. <laughs> I thought this was a fun, playable flick screen collect 'em up. Very bright graphics, moved quickly. Sound was pretty stirring to say the least. Um, controls were all right, um, but it was just a kind of a flick screen. It weirdly drew everything, didn't it? Kind of showed you the map. I think yes. was, was that this one or was that a different? Yeah, one? no, it does the bits. The yeah, sort of components appear at one yeah, at a time. Yeah, because you you've actually got a. Use your bombs to blow certain things up. A certain number of the things on the screen have to be blown up, and then uh, it releases a part of your spaceship into the center block, and then you have to run off to the right. It's the logic of some of these C64 games <laughs> is dead weird, but yeah, that's what you have to do. C16 games. Sorry, yeah, the C16 games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Yeah, so yeah, it's a multi-screen maze game reminiscent of Bomberman. Yeah, um, similar. Because you can drop a bomb and it blows up, and if you're in that blast, it'll kill you. Um, you are a thing. I don't know what else to describe you as. You're a ball yeah. with a head that pops up now and again. You're uh, a dork. You, you are what you are. Uh, yeah, enemies patrol, mazes. you got to blow them up. Uh, contact with enemies kill you. It's odd and it's hard to understand. Especially the first one I tried in, which just put me in a... Uh, the first first level it dropped me in, I appeared in a part of the maze where there just two enemies appeared at either end and just I was it. I couldn't drop a yeah, bomb because... Yeah. It just killed me immediately. I was like, "Yeah, there's a lot of instant logic deaths in many of these games, actually, where, yeah. they, where, they, where um, you're, you're at the mercy of random." I think it is, but I did note that this really does look like a Gremlin game. It yes. has that chunky black outline. It looked like yeah. Future Night and other games that we've seen from these, you know, from those kind of yeah. grouping on this, the Gremlin graphics on the C64. Yeah. Yeah, there's no um, mistake in the Gremlin games in some of these. Yeah, so this is, I mean, there's puzzle pieces you've got to collect, isn't it, or some kind of weirdness, yeah. there's some puzzle yeah. on the right. So it's. If I'm if I'm squinting and looking at a thousand yard stare, it's a weird mix of Impossible Mission and Bomberman. Yeah, then you've got to edit, edit. You've got to edit the jigsaw as well. You've got that's to, what I mean. So, so that's the Impossible yeah. Mission bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, not in any other way. And but I'm weirdly Bomberman. But it's you know, it, it's all right. I didn't, didn't mind this. It's better than some of the ones we're going to look at. But it, yes, okay. yeah, it was all right. It's all right. Yeah, and it, see, yeah, it felt like it, more of a complete game. Yeah, there you go. Dork's dilemma. It's all right. Moving on. Bandits at zero. Mm. Is our next one. Uh, this is a Falcon Patrol Defender-style shenanigans as you control a plane over water, killing as many other planes as you can on a daily basis. I like this. It's like my daily job. I just go out and shoot loads <laughs> of planes. You know, that's my job. It's like, what did you do today? Went out and shot loads of planes. All right, okay. Um, it's simple enough. And that's it, really. It's, it, there doesn't seem to be much more to it. There's no, like, picking up people or anything. Um, it has got some very nice parallax scrolling on the sea. Mm, um, yeah, I thought, no, I thought give, that was neat. To give it some depth. Um, and the, by the, if you get to the third level, it introduces boats that shoot at you from the sea. Yeah. Uh, and that's good because it's, it adds some much needed variety. Um, it's a little slow to get going. It's a bit dull. 
Um, it's just, you know, you, are, you and your enemies look exactly the same. You could have done with a level skipper or been a bit faster to get through the levels because the first two are really dull. Um, yeah. And, and the, uh, at the end of each level as well, you, your refueling plane comes back up and, and then refuels you. You have to sort of slow down and sort of fly at the right, right <laughs> That's speed. That's what you call that. that refueling process. It looked painful. It did look painful. But on, and just for all that, I shot it down every time. <laughs> <laughs> if you do shoot it, another one appears. It's like they just keep sending you them. Um, <laughs> please refuel. Stop blowing them up. I wonder how many I could, could, could have killed. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it was okay. It's graphically quite nice, I think. It's got a sort of – it looked like Falcon Patrol, Yeah. Um, obviously, but just without that sort of bottom visuals. But those the way they did the parallax scrolling, I thought was really nice. Um, yeah. and it's quite fast and it, it's responsive. Um, mm. I don't know whether that's part of the 16's like you know faster processor in in play because it yeah, feels it will be it feels yeah. a bit snappier to control. It run, it run, and, the processor is well, it's one point seven. Remember, C sixty four is at one and yeah. this is at one point seven, so it's, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty it's quite a bit faster. Yeah, so the, I mean, considering everything's character based, um, nice nice use of mm. those characters to you know they look like sprites to me. Yeah. Uh, whatever it is uh, this was, it was okay just a bit dull a bit slow to get going but I think if you could have got into the action faster this would have been a really decent shooter what about you? yeah the nice Defender clone um, this was made by um, Sean Southern oh was so it? This is, yeah ah, so it's Mr right. Chip Software so it's Sean Southern he, he does loads of games for the C16 that guy must have loved it um, yeah, yeah, so probably. that's and hence the reason why because he also did Kickstart Speaking and a few other loads of other Mastertronic games for the C16 so this is you can see why he's got that kind of Sean Southern kind of polished to the code so yeah. the code and, and you know the way it operates when you shoot and your spaceship explodes you get some nice little animes and stuff little touches it's like a night and day cycle for some reason this game as well weird yeah exactly um, that's what I mean it's, so, day, it's your day yeah. job yeah so yeah. It's, it's it's I thought it was good fun like you say just you know the 16k started to show because all of a sudden you sort of felt like you'd run out of things to shoot yes yeah absolutely <laughs> flying around thinking have I finished <laughs> yeah absolutely so, yeah, it's good. a bit slow Yep. But three three quid from Mastertronic, that one. Bargain. All right. So it's okay. If you're and quite the, happy the sound on that was ear splitting. It was ear splitting and shrill, the tap music for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we just sort of put that down as a... Actually, the next one's pretty good. Uh, but that is a, a thing of the machine, isn't it? It's like, ah, aye. Yeah, yeah. Loud. So it's loud and shrill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not what you want. So that's Bandits at Zero. Another all right one. These are all yeah. right. Yeah. Not too bad. Um, let's move on. Graham, Leaper. What about Leaper? I quite liked Leaper. I thought it had a nice presentation, really colourful, nice guides and sort of interest screen. So you sort of, it was quite clear what you needed to do, albeit that that was technically almost impossible. Um, <laughs> nice. The music was all right. It wasn't loud, so loud. It was a reasonable rendition of the Can Can as the title music on this. Um, and then in the game, it was popcorn, a sort of a version of popcorn. So it, it felt quite, it, it played to the strengths of the game. So it wasn't overwhelming you with you know, blasting your eardrums with these sort of oral headache inducing sounds. So the game is quite simple, wasn't it? Jump through the gaps and sort of make you able to light the lights at the top. I quite, I quite like this one. It's one of my favourite ones I played. It was dead simple, dead annoying and infuriating. But at the same time, I quite liked um, sort of my time playing it. It was just easy on the brain, I think. And because it didn't sort of try and drill my skull with music, I thought it was all right. It's a bug bite game written by MJ Gannon with additional graphics by M Donnelly. I thought this was one of the nicer looking ones with its nice sort of intro screens and multi screens. And it just felt a bit more complete, I think. What about you? Yeah, I really like this. I mean, it's a version of Jumping Jack. I thought it was. A, yeah, I was going to say there must be a game behind it. Yeah, so it's Jumping Jack on the Spectrum. I mean, which in itself, it's kind of a, it's kind of a Frogger style game, isn't it? Um, mm. Where you, you know you're yeah, kind of actually. leaping, where you're moving that sort of whether your view down is from the side or whether you top down, it's that view jumping up the screen on platforms and things to get to the top to land on something so it's that frogger mentality which jumping jack is and this is um i liked it i thought it was really good um probably one of the best ones played so far and they've all been yeah. pretty decent but this was uh, this was at first i was like what the hell because it takes a while for gaps to appear in the line above you um but it's um you know, and and it can be frustrating when you just jump up, drop down, jump up, drop, and you have to sort of play. Yeah. But then you start to get your head around, right, actually don't jump up at your first opportunity, and you start to learn a little bit of strategy. And it's, mm. it's all right. Um, and if you start to light up those lights at the top, I quite it's a simple thing. You just want to see your name in light, so get to the top yeah. and turn them on one by one. Um, I thought this was maddeningly pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although it does feel like a lot of the time you're just watching lines with holes hung go across yeah. the top of the screen whilst you wait doing very little at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of that, but I think I think it's 
it's it's a simple logic applied to something and done mm. in the, the best way they could do it, and it sort of works kind of okay. And it does, and it's better than the you know the Spectrum one that it's, it's based on. It looks a lot mm. nicer. They, I yeah. like the animation on the main character. Yes. I like yes. his little uh, idle animation as well. And he's just yeah. stood there, yeah. sort of pop, pumping up and down. Yeah, so that's really good, and it worked because it looked like he was just sort of popping up and down to popcorn. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I say the music in it isn't, wasn't, you know, making me want to sort of scream and run out the room. So that's a good start. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw my speaker at the wall and, you know, yeah. <laughs> jab pencils in my ears. Yeah, make it stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Leaper, <laughs> best one so far. It's good, good game. A nice yeah. little game, this. I enjoyed that. Uh, quickly, move along. Did you enjoy Kung Fu Kid? Um, <laughs> no, no, I didn't. This was this was the first one where I felt ter- terribly underwhelmed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just. I mean, there's not a lot. To, I ain't got a lot to say about it. I've just it was an utterly crappy walk left and right punch him up, and it was bad, really badly done. The sprites just appeared randomly. So when you, he had a really determined walk, which made me laugh loads. And your sprite was re- way better drawn than the enemy sprites, which were just kind of these blocky splats that just, when you punched them, they sort of went, and flew backwards. It made me laugh, it made me laugh loads. I thought it was this, because I, I don't know if you've seen the tape case for Kung Fu Kid, but I've got, a, I'll send you the link to it, but honestly, it's, it's, <laughs> it ain't, it ain't great. Oh, yes, I have seen that, yeah. It's all, so, it's all face and face and limbs. Yeah, so my th- feeling is it might have been drawn by a, a, a young kid or something. Maybe the game was made by a younger child. It didn't. It didn't seem to have a lot of game logic in it. It just figured they'd got something working, and then that was all there was to it. So um, yeah. I thought it was out. So far, it's. I thought this was a bit rubbish. So yeah, I think this is what, where we see what the machine doesn't do very well. Um, yeah, it's a really substandard clone of Kung Fu Master in it. You're not kidding. <laughs> I mean, because he's put what left to right, you know, they scroll on that kind of bizarre mix of character styles in resolution. Because yeah. they really don't have sprites. I don't understand why some are high res, single color, and some are blocky. I don't know how well, the system works. Why wouldn't you just reuse the same sprite as you, but did make it different color? Because they really well animated his walk. He had a really stern, forward facing oh, walk. It made me laugh. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, but they're really flickery as well, the enemies. And <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's just terrible. Yeah, this was really bad. Substandard gameplay. Uh, it, it, when I look at it, if I look at it now on the on the screen, it, it actually looks like it could be okay in a still image. The the you know the UI at the top's quite nice, but then playing it reveals a flickery, unpleasant experience. Yes, absolutely. And I think there's there's a lot of that. You know, make make the screen screens look good for the you know the box. Yeah, you probably sell a few. You know, you don't have to sell many of these. Think about it to make a little bit of money. So no, you don't. And this was another Gremlin graphics one. Wasn't it for. Six ninety five, mm. according to yeah. the uh, case. Oh dear, oh dear me. So, Gremlin signed off on that. Goodness. Well, anything you know, I don't know. There yeah. a lot. Of, it seems like there's lots of games well, for the C sixteen, but they're probably yeah. But they were probably thinking, you know, if you bought a C sixteen, this is what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you deserve. You're not getting Kung Fu Master. You're getting Kung Fu Kid. And as we'll see later, <laughs> li- licensing is out the window with this machine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it really is. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no sense of proprietary or. <laughs> well, like at least with these games, it. I mean, there's a lot of games that obviously we haven't looked at. Like you said at the start, there's the, it's unfair to see judge everything by these few games because there are actually some really good conversions. But this is, you know, this is the non-converted stuff. This is the. This is the yeah. bread and butter. This is the bread and butter we're looking at. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, so far it's been all right. But we found a found one with yeah, a bit of mold on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we have. Yeah, this, this was this was the, the bottom of the toaster underneath the wires. So get it out, you have to get it out with a wooden spoon. You. <laughs> it's clogging uh, the toaster. This one. <laughs> uh, let's unclog it and move on to our next one. Mega bolts. Uh, so this is a confusing game. Um, I thought a confusing maze game that sees you moving from screen to screen in search of what I presume are the mega bolts. Um, it's fast, but it's almost too fast. It's hard to line up with the exits and entrances. As everything is just a character wide, it's all too easy to overshoot the gaps. So to move, you know, within the maze and the enemies that prowl the maze will kill you before you can get lined up properly. It's this to me looked like a Vic Twenty game. Yeah, similar. Um, and I'm and I'm sure I did play something very similar on that machine. It, I found this was average at best. I found it a bit twitchy and, and not particularly enjoyable to play. And also, mm. I found it random in that I would go from screen to screen, go back, and I'd be in a different maze. I couldn't make head nor tail of the actual layout <laughs> of the world. So, uh, Mega Bolts was not something that really enamoured me to the machine or to the to playing it. I, I found this just a bit a bit ugly. And this was like, you know, the character graphics where everything's a character size. There's no it's, it, 
it just stunk of Vic 20 to me. Yeah. But you. Yeah. Yeah, this is by Stuart Cross. So this is another Mr. Chip software game. And um, the idea yeah. is actually in this, you've got to treat, you've actually got to crush and kill the characters that make you've got to kill the enemies in it by crushing them between the maze blocks. I don't know if you realise that. No. Um, so, so in fact, the object of the game is to clear all sixty-four screens, sixty-four screens of that of the invading megabots. There are two ways to dispose of the little chammers, but we're not going to tell you either of them. <laughs> Great instructions. <laughs> <laughs> That's from the instructions. Discover the methods of mayhem by experimenting, but watch out for the time bombs dropped in your path. Run over them to defuse them. Anyway, the object of the game was you had to sort of, it was a bit like a weird, crappy, tiny version of Pengo, and that you had to sort of crush the with your X, because you're a little X, an animated X, and you have to crush yeah. the yeah, yeah, yeah. objects. But in, in, in all fairness, it's that small and bitty, and it didn't quite work. And like you say, you ended up just end up dead for reasons, just for reasons. So I didn't enjoy this at all. I thought this was too too small and bitty and mini. I don't like one character objects. It is very Vic-20. It reminded me of a game called Escape MCP on the Vic-20, where you're being chased by the letter M in a very menacing way. Not yeah, like that actually, that might be the one I played. I think my friend had that. That seems to ring yeah, a bell. Yeah, running, running around a maze, trying to escape from an M. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been there. Um, okay, Megavolts. Yeah, didn't do that. That didn't do anything for me. We're no. in a bit of a lull at the moment. Let's see if our next one can pull us out of that lull. Guzzler. <laughs> it's a bad name. Oh, dear. <laughs> There's a name that hasn't aged well. <laughs> uh, did you get on with Guzzling, Graham? Um, it's a Pac-Man variant, for want of a better description of, of this. I put it's oh. a, the, the title screen is a flickery raster bar nightmare of epic oh, that, proportions. Yes. This is that one, isn't it? Yeah. Where they just explode all the 121 luminant <laughs> shade and colour by blasting them to your eyeballs in a kind of dazzling <laughs> display. The, the game has nothing to do with that. It's running around a maze, picking up keys to collect fruit and avoiding the baddies. So you've got to move Guzzler around the maze, avoiding the frobblies who patrol the corridors <laughs> by picking up a key then for 50 points, which will allow you to enter a food cell and guzzle the items of food inside. However, having eaten them, Guzzler becomes fat and cannot enter some of the narrow passages. To become thin again, he must wait at the maze borders for deflated Dennis, who will deflate him, <laughs> enabling him to get another key to the food cell. After four food cells are emptied, bonus Barry will appear <laughs> with the current Guzzler bonus letter on his front. If you catch Barry, you've received 2,000 points. Extra points are awarded if you complete the world. Barry dies if hit by the by deflated Dennis, by the way. Guzzler can defend himself by using a time bomb to stun the Frobblies for a thousand points. You start the game with five bombs and gain extra bombs every three screens. Guzzler dies if hit by the Frobblies. <laughs> Most people die to get hit in the Frobblies, I tell you. Especially after guzzling. <laughs> Bloody painful experience. Um, or if you contact deflated Dennis and you get too thin, or you can or you can blow yourself up with the bombs. It says, Good luck, happy guzzling. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like this at all. It was weird, and it was just it felt like it was just running around a maze, and I could, and it was really weird because the logic of getting too fat to get down to get the other keys meant you just had to wait around for deflated Dennis, and he never seemed to show up when you needed him. So not very good. No, no, I didn't like this. Another maze Andrew game. Andrew Chalice we was uh, the person behind that. Published by that's a player's game, by the way. That one. It is, yeah, um, yeah. Andrew Chalice, uh, he did into, into the Eagles' Nest, didn't he? Did yeah, yeah. So there's quite some names. There's so, some names behind these games. I know, yeah, but this is slow and flickery and not a great experience. <laughs> no, um, the raster bars are epic. The raster, yeah, the sound is pretty non-existent. The visuals are nothing to write home about. And the title screen is also a thing of horror and epileptic nightmares, <laughs> and there is no reason it should look like that. No, and they're not stable rasters, by the way, raster bars, which I imagine I are quite difficult to do because there's no Vic chip to stabilize them. So they're just a timing nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrific but yeah no guzzler can no it's not a not good i didn't like that um it's like a, it was like a sort of more restrictive version of mr do yeah yeah and we'll come to um, a sort of a variation of that later as well so yeah we will do yeah anyway there you go guzzler moving on killipede this is another one from andrew chalice completely uh, completely random as well i listed these out that was completely random so uh it's a centipede clone through yeah. and through uh, it's a, bit, a little bit juddery, could have been maybe a bit, could have been smooth with character yeah. graphics and doesn't feel that smooth, but it's certainly playable and looks and feels mm. enough like Centipede for the C16 that this would scratch that itch. Sounds okay, yeah. it looks like Centipede. I mean, there's not yeah. much more to say. It is one of those games yeah. that you've got in these early days of, you know, thingy. It's not Centipede, it's Killipede. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> looks very a lot similar like to your, It does, it's exactly like it. No, it's not though, I see that's a Killipede. You've got to, <laughs> to be more observant when you're looking at characters. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a... <laughs> 
I'm an ichthyologist, <laughs> or what they're called. I know about uh, insects and the like. I can clearly see that that is not a centipede. No, no, that is There's a killipede. There's no such thing anyway. as a killipede. Ah. <laughs> see, now that's where the expertise comes in. So I'm an expert and you're not, and let's just go from there. Yeah, um, yeah like you say, nothing more to say. It, was a, it controlled okay, very dull, really, compared to some of the, some of the other games we played. So, And it sounded yeah. like an Atari game again. So, Yeah, this was, this was centipede, so there you go. Um, it's moving on. Street Olympics. This game had me in hysterics. <laughs> By the way, just saying, just telling you Come now. I was, I was, I was, I was laughing. I mean, laughing for ages at this because I like the events. The events, the events in this are my favourite events of any multi-event <laughs> game we have ever played. Yeah. So I like the idea of there being a two-meter sprint. I particularly <laughs> like the eight hundred meter jog. <laughs> The long distance run combined with jumps. This is this this is what they labelled them as. And throwing, <laughs> just throwing, just throwing. It's street, was... street Olympics. I this is this spoke to me on a level that I wasn't prepared for because this actually felt like things I did as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, you went for an eight hundred meter jog. We would do decathlons and stuff when I was a kid. Yeah, just running <laughs> running around the estate. Yes, yeah, so this. Was... This weirdly spoke to me as like you know this is this is council estate Olympics. Yeah, and it does. It doesn't take Einstein to figure out that if you're going to create a game with multi events, making those events based making on the exact same exactly logic. The same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this this 200 meter sprint looks a lot like the 800 meter jog. Now it's very different. It's four <laughs> times longer and a slower speed. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> it, to jump it, it's like well, most of it's just the same as the jog. <laughs> but then you jump over some bricks, which is exactly what we would have done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The good old sprint, jog, jump, and throw events of very, very few and far between. I always feel there should be more of that in Olympics. Just call them what they are. Don't dress them up with fancy titles. Just the cap on now. It's this sprint, jog, jump, and throw. This is a totally gotta, you know keep up. Come on, you, you remember them. <laughs> um, I did think though, ironically, that I thought the visuals were pretty nice in this. Yeah, what, what, yeah, what they yeah. were. I thought the main character is really well animated, considering it's yeah. all characters. Yeah, it's a big, big old thing, you know. It is. I mean, it's only he does one thing. He runs. He does yeah, uh, different variations of you know and, speed. But then, but, but the jump is quite nice as well. Uh, and the, the parallax scrolling. Right. Yeah, the parallax scrolling in the background was quite good with the houses yeah. and the clouds yeah. and stuff. The housing estate he lives on. Yeah. Yeah. This is weird. Yeah, as funny as this was, as basic as this was, as silly as this was, it it, it really did take me back to a point in my life where we were twelve <laughs> years old doing weird decathlons around my, yeah. around, my around, the was, around the estate. Yeah, around the estate. Yeah, that's what it did uh, feel like. But, it did make me laugh. Yeah, you know, so when I, you start the race, you don't get a start flag or anything. This weird balloon face floats on and speaks yeah. to you. I was like, what? Yeah. Why that? Why did yeah, you do that? that? Well, that's because we again took me back to my age when we had old Balloony, who would uh, we called him, who would call out the races. He wasn't very good, sort of thing. Why would you just to... have the word "go" or you know, <laughs> "ready, be... set, go" or something? No, because no, no, clearly that's... you're you're not familiar with Balloony that we had on the estate. Well, I, I'm thinking that you know that this is again something that needs to be quickly introduced to the Olympics. Never mind having the official with a gun, <laughs> Balloony, just, just a balloon with a face drawn on it, and it just pops. <laughs> Uh, this was yeah um you know it, the thing is the game itself is you're going to get very bored of it very quickly because it's just yep. it's just the same thing three times and then lobbing a rock yeah. um <laughs> so there's the lack and it's all waggle-a-thon so there's no, there's very yeah. little to entice you back it's not even like the um events end it just stops no. and then you start running again Too slightly fun. slower and the most confusing way to select events I've ever seen because you sort of because you select you've got a, an a game and a b game the a game you can compete in all the events the b game you can choose by pressing f1 or pressing f2 and then after that yeah. you then press f1 f2 or f3 for the individual events but one two three or four respectively but it doesn't work that way you just no. keep changing you back to the a game or b game why do it like that i don't <laughs> I, I don't know I found this strangely endearing, but a bit dull. Yes, yes, I think this is the same. Um, Mastertronic game. This it did. It was it was co- coded by Patrick Strayson, I believe. Yeah, um, there we go. Street Olympics, game, yeah. fun Classic. little diversion. That I mean, made me trip, laugh a lot. That game. <laughs> a trip, a trip down memory lane. Yeah, it's more like uh, <laughs> council estate, you know, challenges. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, really, it really was. That's what I loved about it. She just called it that. <laughs> council council estate running. Uh, <laughs> It should have, when you threw the brick as well, it should have gone through someone's window. <laughs> it really should have, just for that added uh, 
There's uh, enough people out there who could redux that game. Get on, get on with it. Off you go. <laughs> yeah, you should do. Uh, <laughs> so let's leg it out of that estate and into Zargon Wars. Mm. Did you enjoy Zargon Wars? Um, struggling Gremlin graphics. <laughs> it was a Gremlin graphics shoot 'em up. It was similar, actually, in some ways to Gunstart on the C64. So the graphics were kind of had a little bit of a look of that. Oh yeah, and, yes. and you had the energy bar on the right hand side thing. Ship looked okay. It looked like you were shooting side-scrolling sperm, but all right, that's what it is. It's some, <laughs> yes. some kind of weird game like that. But it was difficult and boring. The, the, the blurb for this is a battle spectacular in the classic mold. These descriptions <laughs> on these games are hilarious. Defend your mother planet from the alien hordes. Never don't say what your planet is, just your mother planet. Put to test your skills as gunnery commander as the space invaders launch wave after wave of laser bombs. <laughs> With your nerve last out and reflexes quicken, as each success you attain is met by an even faster attack the following level. It's Space Invaders-ish, wasn't it? Kind of yes. weird Space Invaders, where the invaders were kind of side-scrolling sperms that dropped eggs, little mini eggs on you. It was weird. Yeah, um, I didn't get much of a single-screen blaster, um, slow yeah. and chunky movement. Uh, it yeah. felt to me like uh, one of those Tomitronic handheld LCD games. Yes, yeah, exactly that. And I think that's exactly where the logic could come from. I don't think um, Because the way they right. moved, you know, especially yeah. that uh, second level with the yellow birds, they kind of moved, you know... <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? You get there's a place for them on the screen and they just kind of appear there in that place. Yeah, yeah. like like L C D games. Yeah. Um yeah, for something similar, I'd go I'd recommend that Ariga game. Yeah. Um, which yeah, is yeah. similar in saying things come on from the left and you have to shoot them in a single screen yeah. and move on. This that was way better. Yeah. Um, no, it says you've got to you know, defend your mother planet. No description of to why this is the Zargon Wars <laughs> at all anywhere. Just that's what it is. Just that's what it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a word. It's a um, word that sounds slightly um, <laughs> slightly yeah, sci fi. Yeah, puts you in it puts you in right in the bottom right hand corner of the shelf, doesn't it? That it really um, does. Yeah. Um all right, next one up. Rescue from Xylon. So this has you. This is um, really good. <laughs> I thought this was really good. You pilot your airship-like craft through numerous caverns, rescuing trapped people. Simple flick screen hero style game that is really good with really nice controls and animation on the main ship. Mm. Uh, multiple screens um, and some tricky. It's like Fort Apocalypse and things like that, isn't it? So and for, uh, multiple screens, some tricky places to explore, make this an enjoyable experience that belies the machine it is running on. Um, yeah. Clever touches like being able to choose sensitivity. Sensitivity of the controls are also good to stream. It's good to see. I thought this was interesting, clever, and really well made. It's got my yeah. thumbs up. Best yeah. one we played so. Yeah, same. Um, you know, when you find yourself deep in the mines of Xylon, uh, rescuing the geologists that have been trapped by rising floodwater, um, I thought it was quite good. You've got your airship in there. It reminded me of a lot of other games. In the actual, in essence, it's really that one of those sort of wire around the loop maze games, isn't it? If yeah. contestants, you know, it's one of those, but. Not to like about it. The animations, graphics felt complete. There's loads to go at as well. There's 28 geologists in each level, and there's eight levels. So you've got loads of re- hundreds of rescue. It takes for hours. Yeah, this is going to keep you going, isn't it? Um, it's very difficult, um, but I thought it was playable and graphically inoffensive. It was it was good, I mean, actually. So, yeah, best one we played so far. I quite enjoyed that one. Yeah. I mean, if I'd have, if I'd have picked this up as an early C64 game, um, mm. I'd have been well happy if I picked yeah. this up for as a budget one ninety nine title. This would have kept me going for this? ages. Was you are. Was it a budget one? I don't think it's from Gremlins. It's seven quid. All right. Yeah, it, so was, it was all right though. You'd have had it's plenty to go out with that. I mean, you know, all the rescuing them. Some of them are real challenges to get to in those mazes. So yeah, they are. And it's yeah, it just it's just a good, well thought out, well made game. Good yeah. stuff. Recommend that one. Go play it. Yeah. Rescue um, from Zylon. Few left. Monkey Magic, Graham. This is from John Shea at Solar Software. Now I suspect, and I could be wrong, but this is <laughs> this is ba- this is based on the Monkey Magic TV series, which is actually a, a retelling of the classic Journey to the West tale. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost a, it's almost a folk tale, really, in 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 you know in in, in those realms. Um, but this is turns that into a weird side-scrolling shoot 'em up where you can fire directionally for some reason. <laughs> so you yes. can fire sort of in a, weirdly in all the sort of compass point. And you're attacked by waves of enemies in just sort of a basic shooter. You're meant to be monkey on his cloud, but I think they've borrowed the monkey magic and all the sort of the look and feel of that. Um, It starts with a weird monkey head (laughs) shouting monkey magic at you um, (laughs) in text. Um, And I've said it looks like the lead singer of The Verve massively. Is it Richard Ashcroft? It looks exactly like Richard (laughs) Ashcroft with a a gold band on his head. Um, 
But other than that, the game itself is naff. The drugs certainly did not work for him. I can say that. But it says it's according to the according to the it's this is Quest One, by the way, because there's sequel there was sequels planned for this. So this was just Quest One of several, and it says on the box for this Quest Two is coming soon. So in Quest One, you've got to join Monkey on his first quest in search of the Holy Scriptures. This involves a long and perilous journey on his magic cloud, high in the air, with the aid of his magic stick. Um, I think he's got a better name for it than that. Monkey battles with the evil creatures of the universe. That's that. That's the end of that. I think it's sort of. I mean, that's summarising Journey to the West in a way that I've never seen anyone do ever so well. I mean, that's like all of the nuances of the you know the trippy tacker and all of the various things and the fights and all. You the, don't need all of them. You don't need that. It's just a guy, monkey on his cloud hitting things with sticks, which you don't do by the way in this. Even though you, you've got a stick, you actually shoot things. Yeah, uh, you'll be pleased to know this was coded in 100% machine code. That's always something that's nice to see in a cassette inlay. Um, so no, I thought this was rubbish and it. The crappy tie-ins that, that people who recognise Monkey would go, oh, it's Monkey Game, and then get it and go, well, God, why did we buy that? And who's Richard Ashcroft? Um, <laughs> why is he in my game? <laughs> why is he shouting Monkey Magic at me? Don't know. Drugs, drugs clearly did work. <laughs> uh, this, um, I didn't like this. This reminded me of um, uh, Imhotep. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, very similar. Uh, it's just reminded me of that, and we don't we know what Imhotep was like. So, nah, this was apart from that interesting title screen. There's not a lot to recommend no. here. The fact that it goes from right to left as well is always a no no in my book. No, nope. um, so no, there's no nope. magic in this monkey. No, no, it got kicked in the trippy tackers. I think that one. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, it's more pigsy than monkey. Absolutely. Uh, uh, what we got next? All right, Spectipede. Okay. Um, so we had Killipede. <laughs> we had the Golden yep. Axe. Now we've got <laughs> the Golden Circles with Spectipede. Another centipede clone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's got some clever coding for its sleeve, though, with nice title screen and good presentation around the edges. Yes, yeah, so that's... But once you start playing, though, the scrolling background, like we said with CC12 Games uh, Pod and um, yeah. uh, Void Runner, make it too hard to navigate the playfield, and it's too, hard to, yeah. it's too hard to see what's going on. There's a reason Centipede works best with a black background. Yes. Um, so although this does move at a pace, it's faster than uh, Killipede. Um, you need to be able to see what's coming at you, and all that visual frippery in the background just gets in the way. So in my estimation, Killipede may have been a bit chunkier, but it was easier to play and pass because it looked like Centipede. This is yeah. you know, probably better coded, but a, a worse game to play because of that. Yeah, sense. I put exactly the same. I've got clearly better coded, but weirdly less playable than the other variations of Centipede we've come across. Um, yeah. This is made by Tony Kelly. So that's the guy that made Big, Bag- Big Mac the Maintenance Man. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he did make a version of that for the C16 as well, a number of others. So this is mm. clearly on his, on his journey to, well, yeah. on his journey to um, coding supremacy. But this was 1985, <laughs> so quite a while ago. Yeah, no, there you go. Not much to say about that one. No, All right, no, no, um, no. three left. Bridgehead. I thought this would be your favourite. This made, me laugh, this made me laugh for ages and ages. Yeah, same here. So, um, fair play to them in trying to make a Green Beret variant for the <laughs> Commodore 16. Uh, but it's lacking some basic controls. There's no jump and you can't move backwards. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> some fundamental things are wrong with this, this one. So, this limits your options somewhat. Uh, the visuals are. Uh, what they are. It looks, you know, they're okay. Um, and what controls you have kind of work, although stabbing the enemies is a massive case of trial and error. You only get one enemy at a time. So just yeah. one enemy slowly makes his way to you or you down giant massive ladders. And then if you, hopefully you'll get your stab right. Otherwise you're back at the beginning. Um, I did note that ducking is the funniest thing I've seen in a while <laughs> in this game. It just looks like you die immediately with your face falling on the floor. You just rotate, yeah, just... it just rotates the uh, character 90 degrees. <laughs> There's no attempt. Any, it's just dunk. Yeah, it just lays flat for me. It was when I first did it, I, I was laughing for ages, and I just kept oh, doing right. it for quite a while. Just that duck. It's not animation. It's just you, you're you just up down up. Yeah, rubbish. Um, but yeah, this was a this was a no for me. No, same. Um, it was a, it was bold in its attempt, wasn't it? It was a, it was a brave thing to try, but it failed for me when the green beret when it started wasn't actually green. Um, <laughs> And although he was wearing a beret, I suppose that's something. His stab was, I'm not sure what he was stabbing with. I forgot the feeling he went into this armed with a very small pen knife. Um, which, and so he sort, of went, he sort of poked more than stabbed. And then it didn't really work. And the, I only managed to kill a couple with the grenade before it was. I was quickly overwhelmed with my one enemy. Um, so they make, a, they make a lot in the instructions about the fact that it's got bi-directional scrolling. In fact, that's in capital letters, like it's shouting at This has got bi-directional scrolling, everyone. Everyone, bi-directional scrolling. And it consists each each eight separate sectors contains eight screens of bi-directional scroll. Apparently, it's bi-directional scroll, and they make a big point of that. It didn't work for me either in that way either, so I'm thinking it's just more 
box claims. Um, so, and rather <laughs> there are enemy types, you get the dark red soldier is the bazooka guy, and the dark blue soldier is the missile guy, um, as well as the um, commander and the you know the patrolling soldiers. It it was just it was an attempt, wasn't it? But it was small and and it didn't really didn't really work. <laughs> no, no, it did not. But fair play to him. Yeah, <laughs> for Anko. Giving it a go. Good, good try, Anko. No. Yeah, good try. Um, yeah. Couple left. Tutti Fruity. Enjoy yeah. Tutti Fruity. Yeah, I thought this was all right. It's a Mr. Do clone. Um, it's coded by Sean Southern again, so it's Mr. Chip Software. The music was passable, passable in this, but a bit kind of pitchy. So kind of your ears start to sort of, you know, your eyes and your ears start to twitch a bit. Yeah. But it's a reasonable, reasonably playable Mr. Do clone. Graphics were okay. You were a strawberry in this. Um, in fact, I think your Super Strawberry King of the Orchard is the title. You've got to collect cherries a la Mr. Do, very similar. Um, and it works in the same way. So as you collect them, you get little sort of tones as you pick them up. And you've got things that are trying to get in your way. And you can drop heavy objects in a kind of almost a dig doggy Mr. Do kind of style. It's of that gen- genus of game. Um, and it's enjoyable because it's that genus of game. I always like quite like the Mr. Do's, the, Mr. the Dig Dugs and those kind of games. And it, it's an appropriation of those things, albeit with the limitations of the machine it's on. So I thought it was all right. Right. Yeah, this is weird because if you get to the, it's three different. It's almost three different games on each level. So the first one is Mister Do, the second one you have to kill the enemies, and the third, the third level is Pengo. Oh, there's a Pengo, and get that far into if, it. If you get to the third level, it's essentially it, you've got to push the blocks. So it's the same carrots and stuff, but you're pushing the blocks to crush them. So it essentially becomes Pengo. So this oh, okay. is both Mister Do and Pengo in one game. Yeah, Mister Do Pengo. It sounds like a... yeah, and it and it worked. Both of them really good versions of both of those arcades yeah it worked um, I, say, I enjoyed um, the bit i played and i thought this is like mr do so and i like mr do yeah. so directly get to the third level and it's pengo because at well, first i was like what's going good. on this is suddenly not i can't move into the okay. cherries then it's you sean southern no you know the guy can code i mean the, the guy knows how to make games and code things and get the most out of the hardware he's on i'll give credit where credit's due yeah he is so prolific for, on this machine he really is so for capturing both getting both of those you know Separate mode to play into a C16, mm. one load with multiple yeah, well levels. Done. It's nice. The graphics are nice and chunky. They're arcade like. Well, yeah. I mean, we didn't, we haven't looked at it in this, and maybe we'll look at it in the future. But it, his version of Trailblazer for the C16 is astonishing for what it is on the C16. Well, we, we'll, we will at we'll, some point look at the yeah. sort of downport. So we'll, at yeah, some yeah. point, well, yeah, but Tutti Frutti, it was, a, it was, I think, the, the most fun out of all of the ones I think I played. Maybe with maybe Leaper and, and to some extent some of those, but I really like that one. Yeah, I thought this was good. Good arcade game. Yeah, yeah. Um, final one, Astro Plumber. <laughs> we uh, plumbed the depths with this one. <laughs> well, this was just plain odd, wasn't it? So this is from yeah. Blue Ribbon, and I thought they were a biscuit manufacturer or a biscuit. <laughs> they coded are, by they? Wayne, Wayne. It's coded by Wayne Allen and more. Um, it's M A W. You are a maintenance man just arrived from Earth. Your task is to repair the leaking air pipes in the caverns under the moon's surface, okay, uh, which supply the scientists of Colony 11, a research station. There are inhabitants of the underground caves which are indestructible, so you must avoid those, okay. (laughs) To help you avoid them, you're wearing a jetpack. Now, I would say that doesn't help you avoid anything, but okay. Jetpack in a cave is a dangerous thing, enabling you to fly over them, which it doesn't. But watch your fuel supply, press the return key to take off and land again, which didn't really work very well for me. Anyway, so the idea is you've got to work your way around a kind of a platformy type environment leaping over things with a jetpack, which would just put a jump in, just make it jump. And it's because you've got joystick and you've got silly keyboard controls. It's probably better controlled totally by keyboard, but not both, because I tried joystick in the return key and it was a bit faffy. It, it was all right, but you run out, I ran out of air pretty quick um, and you lose your lives very quickly. It's not, it doesn't, it's doesn't, it's not a game you're going to get very far in unless you really, really persevere with those controls. So Yeah, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't get on with this. I thought this reminded me of uh, Space Panic. Yes, yes, actually, yeah. Thinking about with it, yeah. the, the you know the, the sort of original platformer, as some people call it. Yeah, that, that's what yeah. this, that's what it reminded me of. You're moving up and down ladders, fixing stuff, or you know trying to avoid enemies. Yeah. It just looks like it, single screen laddery nonsense. It is, and without the inlay, you know, it's not really clear from the in first screens what the hell controls what because sort of it's really bitty the sort of layout of the sort of title yeah. screen as it such and. The sounds are quite basic in it as well, so it it just felt a little bit underwhelming. This as a sort of a, an astro plumber's a bit weird, anyway. So yeah, yes, it just it it seems strange that you would send a maintenance man all the way from Earth to the Moon. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and I'm not going to question the, the logistics of it. But <laughs> no, no, that's not. There you go. That's our 16 for the 16. Um, 16, 16, 16, 16. Yeah, on the fourth month. Yeah. Um, what did you make of that, Graham? What did you make um, of your time playing C16 games? I can see that. These are, there is a lot of attempts. I think um, you can sort of see 
because my question with a lot of these was where where was it they didn't know really where this machine was pitched other than but you know entry level and so i think the fact that these games came out on it sort of tells you exactly that you know the, the expectations aren't going to be that high you've got 16k and a almost a crippled game i mean i know there's loads of other games that come out. there's even a version of mercenary out on the c16 um, wow. so so you've got there are some bigger titles than the ones we've played but do you know what it's um it reminds me of it. it's a very sort of slight little sojourn into the into a different world and the games some of them this this you know the, it goes back to the old logic of games where if you if you just stick to something simple but do that kind of well and iterate over that and get the logic of the game mechanic right from the start then the games the games like tutti frutti and things like that they just work because of that um, and there's other ones in there that made me laugh. You know, Street Olympics was brilliantly hilarious, and <laughs> you know you don't get those kind of games. And and that's the thing that did strike me about this is that there's a there's a kind of an adventure, um, not an adventure. What's the word? I suppose there's kind of a, a wild west feeling about these games. Is that it's a bit like you know there's, there's just a wild west. There's just pro- prospectors just making anything they can. Some of the ideas are going to work. Some of the ideas aren't. But I like the fact that there are lots of ideas and lots of games being tra- tried out on there um, because too quickly with these platforms when they get bigger. The, the net games suffer from the narrowing, so you start to get the same game repeatedly created by lots of different yeah. providers. Whereas at least here, you've got loads of weird variations of stuff, albeit that we've already even that sixteen, we've got two um, centipede clones. But there's a whole variety of weird games in there that you would never normally come across. You know, there's, some of them are genuinely odd. So yeah, there's crap. Monkey Magic is just you know rubbish. But <laughs> yeah, in, in amongst all of that lot, you know, there's some, this Leaper was in there. Leaper's a good little arcade. Tutti Frutti, you know, stick. Stick to the strength of something with 16k. I think is my message. Yeah, yeah, I quite, I quite enjoy my time. It's very loud, very, a very different experience. It feels yeah, like, um, you know, a cut down. If it, it felt to me like very early, um, when you very, very first got the C64 and you were playing games from 1982, yeah. 83, and you were yeah. also on the early Spectrum games because it's what it is, isn't it? And so it, yeah. it feels like a, a different era from what we're, especially from what we're used to reviewing at the moment in the main, you know, the main sort of up to the past yeah. podcast where we're looking at games like Last Ninja and, and Defender of the Crown and, and all those kind mm. of stuff and you know, m- you know, the big titles that we've been looking at, whiz balls and stuff. This, ca- this kind of felt like a, a sort of refreshing you know, single screen experience of a lot of these yeah. things. There's some there's some decent stuff there and and, and it was all right. I didn't I didn't mind my time. I've never really played on the C16 before, so no. it, it just feels like. Um, yeah, I, I, I can kind of see what they're aiming for, but I just, it came out in 1984, didn't it, the C16? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it did. If you had, uh, if you had, a, if you can envisage a sort of a massive building and all around this, insides of the shelves of those buildings are the C64 games, the C16 games are the Aldi Isle of Crazy in the middle. So yes. that's the way that's I imagine it. That's so a good analogy, yeah. So, you know, it's just full of Aldi ideas of, and stuff that you might not even think could be in, could be even yeah. useful or a game. And yeah, you'll the, find it the in the middle of, aisle. Yeah. It's the middle of little. Yeah, it's it's the it's it is it's that's exactly where these games live in that kind of crazy world. Yeah, you're not quite sure whatever it is you're going to experience <laughs> when you fire yeah. one up. Exactly, could be anything. So it could be good, could be bad. There you go. Yeah. There's our sojourn into the just to cover what some of the games that you know that that code so we've had a look at some of those. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this. It's a little bit different. We won't have a normal major episode out on Monday because it's Easter, so we're just taking a little break between them. What we will be releasing though, we recorded um, and uh, on our on our through our Patreon and access to our discord you, you can ask us questions and stuff so we, uh, we we recorded an ask us anything podcast so we'll be putting that out on the monday so that's easter monday that will go out so it's something for you to listen to and this on the on the saturday so it's a double double episode weekend it's not quite a triple episode treat um uh, which is a shame um but that would have been good so um th- that's what you've got coming i'm thinking and then we'll be back to our normal our normal uh, sway the programming um which will be a week monday i don't remember what date that is what date is that uh 25th um that's when your next episode proper episode is up to the past they'll be out but we hope you've enjoyed this um it's been fun to do um mm. if you wish to get in on the asking us questions or any other stuff um you can do so um signing up to our patreon which is over at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past there are two tiers um it's just for a pound which just helps us keep things ticking and you get our you know i get our lifelong thanks uh or there's the higher tier uh, price of a beer equivalent of £4.50, which is gets you access to the Discord, early access to episodes and, and all the other stuff that we've got going on over there. So if you feel like it, I know that things are tight at the moment, um, things are tight for everyone, but if you, you know, can spare us and help us keep going, that would be cool. Um, I've quite enjoyed my uh, sojourn into the C16. Been all mm. right. 
Absolutely. Anything else you wish to add, Mr. No, I think No, not at all. I think it's been an interesting little thing and be interesting to visit some of the bigger titles for the platform and see where we're at with those. All right, cool. Well, on that note, I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham Reddings. And you've been listening to Zap to the Past, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.